Hallelujah. He's the maker of the heavens and the earth. I just had uh, this burden in my heart to just share quickly. I want to share a testimony. You can be seated. I just want to share a testimony. I got permission from Pastor Joe. And um, about yesterday when we went to witness, it is very different. The, the atmosphere that, that is changing in America the spiritual climate of the churches, the spiritual climate in the streets. I was in New Orleans um, helping my aunt move here a week ago, and I went down to Bourbon Street. It was the most sinful thing I'd ever seen in America. It was a Thursday night, and it looked like so a Sodom and Gomorrah party going on in front of my eyes. And, and then we went downtown Palm Beach last night, and it was just so... You know, Palm Beach looks so pretty. It looks so nice on the outside, but it's a spiritual desert. It's so dry. But we were singing this song, Let It Rain, and Matt was sharing about, you know, the dryness of this area and how we need to pray, guys. The Bible says, the Lord God says in 2 Chronicles, he says this, when, when I send a plague, that word plague actually means pandemic or a famine among your land. What's a famine? Dryness. You know, there was a word that the Lord gave me about a couple of years ago, and he said, I'm sending a famine in the land, but it's not a famine of food. It's a famine of the word of God. And it's in the scripture. There's going to be a famine. The hunger of the word of God is going to dry out, says the Lord. And we saw it with our own eyes yesterday. But I want to tell you a testimony of good news that, you know, in the song we sang, it says, I feel the rains of your love. And the winds of your spirit. And now the heartbeat of heaven. Let us hear it. And even in the midst of all this spiritual dryness and deadness. Do you know that heaven is still real? Heaven is still moving. The kingdom of God is still advancing. And we can hear the heartbeat of heaven. And you know what it sounds like guys. The heartbeat of God. 
It's, it's to leave the 99 and go after the one. When the Pharisees and the scribes were persecuting Jesus, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? He gave them three stories, three parables, and they all had to do with how God is seeking and saving that which is lost. He says, you don't understand my heart. You don't understand why I came. And he told them the story of the prodigal son. And when we went to these streets, guys, it was so interesting. All the successful and all the prideful and all the partiers would just pass us by and mock and shake their head and scoff. They were videotaping us, mocking us at the same time we were preaching the gospel of salvation that could save their soul. But at the same time, we saw the homeless and we saw the lame and the sick and they were coming to Jesus. We had one lady named Candace. She was homeless and she came up for prayer. And by the end of the night, she kept coming and listening to us preach. And she was a backslidden Christian and she went through some hell on earth type of stuff. And by the end of the night, my wife was praying for her and she was weeping in the middle of the streets, weeping and repenting. Because that's the heartbeat of heaven. Even in the midst of all the dryness, God is going after the one. And you can see there was a man, I just share this quick story, there was a man from Australia and he lost his wife, they went through a divorce and he moved to America to try to start a new life and he lost everything and he's on the streets and he gave his heart to Jesus. This man, his name's Jack and as we were walking down Clematis, my wife was praying and she said, Lord, give me a person, a specific person to pray for and she saw a man with a black shirt. And just a few minutes later, there was Jack sitting on the corner. Now listen, Jack's a believer now, and he was testifying how God's been showing him faithfulness, and God's been providing for his needs, and how another brother just came the other day and gave him a black shirt and gave him a bag. And there we were encouraging Jack. And let me tell you, Jack was born with a blind eye, born with a blind eye. And by the end of that moment, we had ministering with Jack. We all gathered around him and we prayed for Jack. And we, my wife told the story of how God healed her eye because she had a miracle when she was a child. And she prayed over Jack's eye. And Jack began to see light penetrate in his blind eye for the first time in his life. And we believe God for total healing. And we were closing his eye and saying, Jack, can you see anything? He says, I, I'm seeing light. I can't explain this. I'm seeing light. Guys, do you hear the heartbeat of heaven? It doesn't matter how dry it gets. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. We are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And a city that shines on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus said that about you, church. We are the light and the salt of the earth. So let this little light shine, guys. Doesn't matter how dark and wicked this world gets. We are the light. Let it out, guys. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Be the light. Shine your light. And you'll see the light of Jesus seeking and save the lost. I just wanted to share you guys that testimony to encourage you. Thank you guys for the, thanks for that song, Matt, and that beautiful worship. All of you online, I hope that encourages you. God bless. does encourage us. Brad, thank you. Thank you. The gospel goes forth no matter what. The gates of hell aren't going to prevail against the word of God, against the church of God. So so thank you for people that go out there and, 
and uh, preach the gospel like that. So when you see them and you're driving by the corner and they have a sign up there, Jesus loves you, or, you know, repent, then, you know, toot the horn at them and give them the thumbs up, you know, because they're doing a work that some of us don't, aren't able to do, aren't even gifted to do. But for all of those who just tuned in, this is Freedom Church in the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. You just heard missionary pastor and evangelist Brett, Brett Dahanis, and, uh, and uh, he preaches here as, as often as I can get him up here. So, uh, you know, so tune in sometime, and you might see him again. Just for three, four, or five minutes, you know, he's on fire. Imagine 45, 50 an hour of uh, being on fire. It catches, fire's catchy. You put a fire near a little ember that's just fizzling out, and it just bursts into flames. So that's where we're at. Thank you, Matt. Tune in next week, everybody, at 10 a.m. and Thursday night at 7.15. We're in the book of Genesis. We started on Joseph on Thursday night, and we'll be continuing with him for several chapters. So, um, and on Sunday, we're in Matthew, and today we're in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going through verses 1 through 11, Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, and uh, for those of you out there over the internet, get your Bibles out for the Word of God. Brett talked about a famine, well, there's no famine at Freedom Church. We preach the gospel here, and we're going to continue to do that until the Lord comes back, as long as we're, we're still here. And I believe the gates of hell are, is not going to prevail against the, the church of God, just like Jesus said. I named this message, Counteracting Temptation. Matthew chapter 4, if you know your Bibles well, you know that this is the chapter, or, you know, that uh, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Okay? And he is counteracting temptation, and it's really a pattern for us. And if you've been in this church any long period of time you've definitely heard me say a lot of what you're going to hear today but it comes along with our study we're doing you know um, as just uh, a study right through uh, word by word chapter by chapter um, study in the bible so I just want to start off by um, just reviewing a little bit about last week if you remember chapter 3 we were on the second part from 11 to 17, verse 11 to 17. We saw John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness, and his message was, here it comes, repent, turn away from your sins, do an about face, forsake your sins. For the kingdom of God is here. That's why. The kingdom of God is here. And the reason why the kingdom was here is the king is here. The king was walking on this earth. And if you remember when we started the study in Matthew, Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. And Matthew, you know, in Matthew also, you're going to see at the end, when we get to the end of the chapter, Pilate called him the king of the Jews in three different languages he had put on the sign above the cross because he is the king of the Jews. And the Jews wanted him to change it because they didn't believe he was the king. So they said to Pilate, put on there, he said he was the king of the Jews. No, you, you, can't, you can't take away why he was crucified. He was crucified because he was the king of the Jews, and they wanted rid of him. So 
He, his message was repent, and the reason why the king is here, after 400 plus years of silence, all of a sudden, here in the wilderness, is a man named John preaching the gospel, eating locusts and wild honey, covered, has a tunic of, of, of goats, goat hair, I believe it was, and, and a leather belt. You know, and just, that's a picture, by the way, of, of Elijah in the Old Testament. And Jesus, well, you know, in the, in the scriptures and in the gospels told us, Elijah, John the Baptist is Elijah. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, boom, 400 years of silence. Here's a guy in the wilderness preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is here. The message is the king is here. Malachi, the last book, the second to the last chapter in the Old Testament, I, I remember it says God is telling the Jews and the Gentiles today, God is going to send his messenger to clear the way. And John the Baptist is the messenger. He's the one saying the king is coming. The king is coming. And then that goes on to say in Malachi 3.1, and suddenly the Lord comes into his temple. After 400 years, when the king shows up, he's going to come into the temple suddenly, so quickly, they're going to not understand it. And you know that Jesus did. He came into his temple. Malachi 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament, the second to the last verse, Malachi 4, 5, says, in a paraphrase, the messenger will be Elijah the prophet before the great and coming day of the Lord. So we see that, and I mentioned last week, that the great day of the, and terrible day of the Lord is not one day. It is a period of time. It starts with the great day, and I believe that great day was the day Jesus was born, or I should say when Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit who overshadowed her. And here's the king's. The seed of God of the Father was planted in Mary, the, the uh, man, a uh, woman, you know, and, and here comes the Messiah. And it's going to end, I think, after the millennium is done, after the thousand years and after the devil's released again. But there's going to be tough days in there. There's going to be terrible days. It's a period of time. Right now, we're in the great days because the, the, preach, the king is here. Jesus has arrived, and it's our duty, and it's our job to tell the world that the king is here, that the king can come into your heart, and you can be saved, not from Roman tyranny, not from your, your boss at work, but from your sins. Here's Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. In that day his feet, this is pointing towards a great day of the Lord, one of those ones at the, closing, uh, at the closing of the great day. In that day, his feet will stand on Mount Olives, and the Mount Olives will be split in the middle from the east to the west with a very large valley so that half the mountain moves north and half the mountain moves south. That's when Jesus touches down in the second coming, not the first coming, which, you know, he came as a baby in Bethlehem, 
and died on the cross, was buried, and has risen the third day according to the scriptures. It's a spare plan of time. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that the last enemy of God, death, will be thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21.4 tells us, God shall wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There's going to be no more sorrow because the former things have passed away. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Someday, you aren't going to have to cry anymore. Your sadness is going to be gone, and your sorrow and your pain will be gone. And then I showed you in the last chapter of, of chapter 3, I showed you the Trinity speaks, and that was the name of the message. The Trinity speaks. How does the Trinity speak? Well, here comes the king. John the Baptist had no idea who the Messiah was. All of a sudden, here comes the king. The heavens are opened. The dove descends. That's the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you the Holy Spirit is not a dove, but he's represented as a a dove in, in this chapter. And then God speaks from heaven. First of all, Jesus comes to John, and he says, you've got to baptize me. And, you know, John the Baptist, you can't. You want me to baptize you? You're the Messiah. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, to fulfill all righteousness, let's baptize me. You know what it is? It's a picture of you dying. He was sinless. There was no sin in Jesus. Sin came upon him at the cross. Our sin, past, present, future of every person that ever lived on the face of the earth, was all upon Jesus. And the Father turned his face from him for a while. And that's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We beat him, we kicked him, we spit on him, we punched him in the face, we crowned him with thorns, we nailed him to a cross, stuck him in a hole. And he still loves you. He was, all that pain, all that agony in his sufferings was not, near as much when his father turned his face from him and forsook him. For all of eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed, and for all of eternity, and all of a sudden, at that moment that all the sin was placed on Jesus, the Father turned his face from him, and that was the... You know what hell is? It's the absence of God. And there's where he was. Jesus was in hell right there because God the Father. But third day, we know the story. He rose again according to the scriptures the third day. And we can live forever because he lived forever. The message was, listen, I've never seen the heavens open up. I know there's people in this church right today that have seen the heavens open up right before them. And I'll bet you as they looked into that heaven, most of them can't even describe it. It's too beautiful to describe. I imagine... The, if there were clouds up there, they were brighter. If there was worship up there, it, could, it, it absolutely demolished any worship here on earth. If the grass was there, I'm sure it was amazingly greener. The whites were brighter than any launderer could do on the earth. And then, when just for that to happen, the heavens opened up. Out of, you know, that's a multi, what can I say, a miracle. And then out, comes, out, out of heaven comes this dove and rests upon Jesus 
That's a picture of the Holy Spirit baptizing him in the Spirit. And right there, Jesus was baptized in the Spirit. So the heavens are open. The Spirit descends. The King is there. The Spirit descends, anointing him with his power. And then God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the Son is on earth. The Spirit descends and baptizes him in his Holy Spirit. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Trinity has spoken to the world today, even at Jesus' baptism. I want to read the, we're going to read the passage that we're in today, Matthew chapter 4, just the first 11 verses. And I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Remember, this is after his baptism. Then speaks to immediately. Okay? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge over you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. I want first, we, before we go on, I want to show you two truths. Number one truth is temptation is not sin. A lot of people even come to me, well, they were tempted in this area. Temptation is not sin unless you act upon it. The second truth is there is a difference between God's testing and the devil's tempting. There is a difference. Let's look at the the. The first truth, which temptation is not sin. You know that the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in all things, yet there was no sin in him. He was tempted. You know 1 Corinthians 10.13. If you've been a Christian any, any period of time, you probably know that. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. He will provide you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Everybody on the face, don't think you're the only one that ever went through what you're going through because there's been other people on the earth. And God's telling you, you can get through it. I'm going to provide you a way of escape. The problem with most people, they don't look for the way of escape. They get drawn into that temptation. Malik, Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I mentioned earlier as I read that, it then speaks to immediately. 
right after he was baptized in the Spirit of God, he was led immediately into the, the desert or to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. That's not tempting. He had a time. Jesus had to prove his faith, just like you have to prove your faith. Faith that isn't tested can't be trusted is one of the famous sayings I always say from a good friend of mine who's in heaven right now. He used to say, faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. God, you think back. He tested Abraham. He tested Isaac. He tested Jacob. He tested David. He tested them. He did not tempt them. It was the Spirit that led him. God is testing him, but the devil is going to tempt him. Don't be surprised, Christian, if your faith is tested. Do not be surprised. James 1, 13 through 15. I'm going to read it from, from the Bible. You, you know it. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God doesn't tempt anyone. That's the next statement. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So the scriptures tell you, if you're being tempted, it's not God. So you need to recognize who it is. It's the devil, okay, or one of his demons. The 14th, the 14th verse, but each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth, it brings, gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You can see the, the, uh, the downward spiral here. Lust, sin, death. As I always say, LSD. LSD, lust, sin, death. You're on a bad trip, kid, if you're into that point. It's immediately after. Truth number two. There is a difference, a big difference, I might add, between God's testing and the devil's tempting. God tests us to prove our faith. Okay? He, he draws us near to him. He draws us near to make him stronger, to make you stronger. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us draw near to God. Go into Hebrews also in chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with, in, in a, with a sincere heart. Draw near to God with a sincere heart, with fu in full assurance of your faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience, our body, our bodies, and have our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near with a sincere heart. A lot of people draw near to God, but they leave out the sincere heart part. And you're saved by not a confession of your mouth. You're saved by the contents of your heart. And a lot of people miss that. And then they miss heaven by the 18 inches from the forehead of knowledge to the heart of sincerity. Okay, God tests us to draw us close to him. It's proven by Scripture. I gave you two Scriptures. You interpret Scripture by other Scriptures. And there they are. 
And we are also told not to love the world. We want to go deeper than that. Satan, on the other hand, tempts us to sin. And we know that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is just one of the common things he uses all the time. He lets your flesh lust after who knows, men, women, money, jobs, your career. You got the lust of the eyes going on. Eve was deceived in the garden because she saw that the fruit looked good that the devil was trying to tempt her with. And then the boastful pride of life. Satan said to Eve, you know, you know, it will make you wise. So what did she do? She had the pride of life. It was all about me, myself, and I, the selfish trinity. Me, myself, and I. And she took it, and she ate because it looked good, and the devil said, you know, you can be wise, and she's just thinking of herself. Not what God said, but what, sh what she wanted to hear. The devil tells men that they can obtain satisfaction and status and substance outside the will of God, and that's not true. You can't find any of those things outside the will of God. Satan has about several strategies, but let me list a couple of them. Number one, his first strategy for those of you here and those of you over the Internet and those of you listening down the road, his first strategy is to keep you from finding Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he has done a good job, as you heard Brett speaking earlier. The climate in America is changing. You know, back when I was a, a younger man, people respected pastors. I've been a pastor for quite a while, and I, I can see the disrespect. They don't look up to you anymore. Because, you know, because a lot of them have fallen and made, you know, got into sin. David did that, but he was still king. He gets you to question God. It's another strategy of his. Like he did with Eve. I have news for you, kids. In the garden, you think, if a serpent talked to me, I don't, you know, a lot of us don't like serpents, okay? I, I would try to run and hide. But pretty much the devil had legs, and he probably had arms. He was called a, a serpent. And he even spoke. But after he got Eve to fall, after he, he tempted Eve and she fell, God cursed him. And he said, from now on, you're going to eat dust as you crawl upon the earth. That means he removed his ability. So it's not the same creature that was in the garden. It's the result of the curse of the ground and the curse of, that was given to Satan. A lot of people, I think, miss that. Personally, I believe every animal on the face of the earth could talk. Because Eve never even questioned the serpent. Hi, why are you talking to me? How can I didn't know you animals could talk. Probably because she talked with other animals. I don't know. That's not in the Bible. That's just joology. 
The second strategy is to keep you from growing in Christ. And boy, the devil has really tripped us up on that one. I don't have to go to church. The Bible says you do. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the habit of some is. And all the more as time draws near. You don't get any encouragement watching TV. I don't say, I, I love, I watch different preachers on TV, the ones I like. And I like that. But you don't get fellowship. You don't get exhortation and encouragement from them because they're out of the air. They don't know what's going on. But your, your friend here at church can say, oh, I, I really love you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing the pizza in or whatever. You know, just, you know, you keep, you lose your fellowship. So the devil's going to keep you from growing in Christ. The Bible commands you to study. Show yourself approved as a workman who needs not to be ashamed, to handle accurately the word of truth. Every Christian is to know the Bible, to handle accurately the word of truth, and as we move on, you're going to see why. Strategy number three is confusion. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that God is not the author of confusion. Did you see Eve was getting confused by what the devil was saying? James 3.6 says something like this. For where envy and strife exist, there is confusion and every evil work. So if you see confusion, it's not from God. It's from the devil. And now on top of that, there's every equal evil work following it. So in verse 2 and 3, we see the first temptation. And he was led, and when he had led, fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now the tempter came, verse 3, to tempt him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. First of all, I want to bring up a point. 40 days and 40 nights. I have many people over the years told me they're going to fast for 40 days or 40 nights. I suggest not, unless God tells you. There were two men in the Old Testament that fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And that was Moses and Elijah, and both of them were told by God to do it. So you better make sure that that voice that told you to do that is God and not the devil. Okay? Because after 40 days, your body begins, your stomach begins to eat itself. Did you know that? Why do you think at the end of this, the last verse, 11th verse here, the angels came and ministered to him? He was at the bottom. Jesus had hit bottom. He was hungry, hungry, hungry. But yet he stood up to the devil. And it says here, if you are the son of God, this is the devil. Listen, if you... Want to know what that literally means? The literal means, since you're the Son of God. That's a big difference. And even, I don't know if you ever heard of John Gill, but he was a hundred years, hundred years before Charles Spurgeon. They preached in the same church. And he says that that should be translated, seeing that you are the Son of God. In other words, the devil is admitting that he's the Son of God. And we also know that Jesus cast out demons. You could go to Luke 4, 41, and you'll see devil, Jesus was healing people, and devils came out saying, you are the Son of God. 
And Jesus commanded them to be quiet. Well, how did they know he was the Son of God? And you all know why. They were once angels. They were once holy angels. And now they're fallen angels. They saw Jesus. They saw the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in all their glory in the kingdom of heaven. They knew exactly who he was, and so did Satan. Since you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. He's hungry. Forty days. His stomach's beginning to eat itself. He commands these stones. Command these stones to be turned to bread. Here's Satan attacking Jesus at his weakest point. He's attacking Jesus at his weakest point in the flesh. He is down and out. He's starving at this point. It doesn't say anything about water, but I'm convinced there's probably had some water during that time in the desert. So Satan is appealing to his flesh. It's similar what he did to Eve, of course, also. She saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to her eyes and desirable to make her wise. And she decided to take a bite, and then she gave it to her husband. Satan comes at your most vulnerable point, people. That's why Jesus said, no temptation has overtaken you. I have provided you a way of escape. You just got to look for it. Satan comes at his most vulnerable point, being weak in the flesh. Satan wants Jesus to use his divine nature and his, to satisfy his own needs. Did you ever see Jesus do that in the Gospels? Absolutely not. It's not God's um, will that he do that. Why, is, why would that be sin? It would have violated the Father's will at that time. Jesus, number two, Jesus had placed himself totally into the Father's hands, and he was going to take whatever was dished out to him. Jesus never used his power for any of his own gratifications. He never did it. That's why some of the Gospels that were lost, like the Gospel of Thomas, was thrown out of the uh, the Bible, wasn't at, at the the core of Scripture because in those those writings, Jesus did do stuff like that. When it's other scriptures say no, he wouldn't. The devil wants you to be satisfied outside the will of God, and it can't be done. I'll bet you some of you, you in this room have tried it. I'll bet you some of you over the air have tried it. You tried drugs, crack, alcohol, sex, adultery, fornication, lust, cars, trucks, houses. You've tried it, and it didn't fulfill your need, did it? It satisfied you for a while, but then it was gone. The only total satisfaction is Jesus Christ and him crucified. God has made each individual with a hole in his heart. I think it's called shaped like a cross. If Jesus isn't in there, you'll never be satisfied. But the devil's trying to tell man you could be satisfied outside the will of God. And he has fooled about seven and a half billion people on this earth.
I said every I said this one time in church when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, I'm gonna be jumping higher than Michael Jordan. And then I saw the last enemy to be thrown in the lake of fire is death. And I said, maybe I'm going to jump a little higher than Michael Jordan on that one. Because I hate death. Even the animals have to die because of our sin. It was our fault all the way around. And then we questioned God, why did that happen? Well, you allowed it to happen because we fell short of God's glory. And even if you didn't fall short of God's glory, you still have the original sin of mankind, Adam and Eve. So we're all guilty of sin. We're all sinners and all fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin, the payment for our sin is death. And Jesus is offering you life in him, in him alone. I know people in this room have tried many of those things. Verse 4, but he answered him and said, Jesus is saying this, it is written. It is written, important words. That is called, and I have it up here, I put this out for, that's called the shield of faith. When you say, when the devil tempts you and you say, it is written, that's your shield of faith. The enemy's going to fire a fiery dart at you, and you have a shield of faith to block that fiery dart. But you have to use it. Jesus has actually given us a, a picture of how to fight the enemy. You take up your shield of faith. The devil tells you to, to sleep with that woman, guys, and you say, it is written, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's your shield of faith. And Jesus is actually quoting right here, next verse, um, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that precedes out of the mouth of God. He's using a book of Deuteronomy. How many times do you quote Deuteronomy? Never. He uses Deuteronomy three times in these three temptations. Actually, the book of Deuteronomy is the most quoted book in the Bible. Man does not live by bread alone. It is written. Man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So now you've got a sword in your hands. It's called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It doesn't kill. It brings people to life. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Ask any missionary that. Ask any pastor that. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. You know it. If you've been a Christian a while, you know this. Chapter 6, verses... I'm going to start in the 10th verse. Just explain it a little as we move. For our struggle... Listen, Christian, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against powers, against spiritual forces of darkness and against in, of wickedness in heavenly places. But when I get to these verses that I, that I have memorized, I trip all over trying to read it in another version that I wasn't, um, hadn't memorized it in. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle is against the enemy, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, even in a heavenly place. Jesus had a heavenly place, and there was a devil right with him named Judas, remember? Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. God's telling you, with all your might, stand against it. Not only does he say it once, he says it twice. In the 13th verse, stand firm. 14th verse, stand firm, therefore, having guarded your loins with truth. And you're having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery flames of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit. Here's the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let me tell you something. Let's just look at this real quickly. David, first of all, the Bible tells you to put on the armor of God. There's nowhere in the Bible tells you to take it off. David obviously took off his breastplate of righteousness because he slept with Bathsheba. Goliath must have took off his helmet because it says in First Samuel 17 that that the Goliath came out with a helmet on, but yet David planted a rock right between his eyes. I would bet he took his, his helmet off. He underestimated his enemy. Don't underestimate the devil, your enemy, but remember God is greater, and you, he's given you all the equipment to fight, fight the devil. This is your sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And as I said, Christians aren't worldly fighters. We fight with weapons that are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. And they pull down strongholds. And they cast down demonic dominions. You have that authority. We as Christians. Please note here, that Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it is very important that believers be baptized in the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water for repentance. And John said Jesus comes and he might baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus was all fired up when he went into the desert. He was still fired up 40 days later after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He was still fired up for God. Yet I think of Job. I think it's first chapter ten. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. That's Jesus. That that was Job. That's a lot of missionaries that have, have fallen and those that are still with us, thank God. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Just don't underestimate your enemy. Don't ever underestimate the enemy. So be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And no, so Jesus was also baptized in what? Water. 
for repentance, as an example to us. So for those believers out there over the Internet and those here, if you've never been baptized in water, the first step of obedience to follow Christ, then what makes you think you're going to follow him in the future with bigger things? Get baptized in water. It's a, it's a picture of you being buried, the old you being buried, and the new man rising up, a new creature. When the old things have passed away and all things become new. The Word of God is what makes the enemy flee. And if you don't know the Word of God, you've got a problem. So that's why you're commanded to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, to study and show yourself approved unto God. There's 31,102 verses in the King James Bible. You can use any one of them as a sword. The Bible in James 4, 7 tells us, first of all, you just don't resist the devil. You have to first be submitted to God. Are you submitted to God? From what I heard from Brad and Matt as they went up to uh, Palm Beach here, not so much, huh? The world is changing. Even the kids are, even our children are filled with disrespect, just like Jesus said would happen. They have no respect for preachers or priests, those missionaries that are preaching the gospel. They have no respect for a believer that's standing on the street corner preaching the gospel of Christ. They have no respect for him. Why do you think the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to see John the Baptist? They had a hunger. America had lost that hunger. We got to get it back. As I mentioned, Jonathan Edwards last week. Jonathan Edwards only lived to about 31, 33 years old. And yet he preached a, a, a message in Boston that turned the entire city. At 50, over 50% of, no, almost the entire city of Boston was saved in the 1700s, I believe it was. And he preached this one message, sinners in the hand of an angry God. And yet whenever you hear a preacher preaching, you have to repent. You get upset at the preacher. No, the preacher's just telling you what God's telling you. He's just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Talk to God about it. Jesus had the word hidden in his heart because 